Well, we've been looking at the book of Genesis at beginnings. We've made it all the way to the second chapter. At this rate, we'll be done sometime in the middle of 2023. <laughs> so uh, maybe we'll speed up just a little bit. But I, I want to talk to you this morning about the beginnings of, of our relationships with one another and who you and I are as we were created in the image of God. It says, you know, he created us in the image of God. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that that means. You know, he, he could have taken five chapters to tell us what it meant to be created in the image of God. But when we think about that, it means that, that we are created with some of the same characteristics that God has. And one of the characteristics of God that we find very early in the Trinity, very early in Genesis, is that God was in relationship with others. He was the Father. When he created the world, the Spirit was there. And then John tells us that the Son was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Everything that has come into being, He brought into being. That's, that's Jesus. And so, Jesus, the Father, and uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were there. And when they created it, it says, Let us make humans in our image. So we are also created for relationships. There's a Gallup poll recently that said that 73% of Americans struggle with loneliness. They're alone. They are, uh, they're disconnected from one another. There's nobody else who shares their life in a, in a close way. Probably a large portion of Americans are disconnected from the Creator. They have no relationship with God. They don't, they don't know, and, and quite frankly, they don't care because they don't know what they're missing by not having a relationship with God. And we're disconnected from one another. James Dobson told a story about when he went to a seminary where, you know, seminaries where they prepare men and women for ministry, pray, prepare men to be pastors, pre prepare them to lead in the ministry of the church. And he was discussing the needs that we have as people, you know, that, that pastors have with people. And when he was through, one boy wrote him a letter, and, and he was real open with Dr. Dobson about how alone he felt and about his feelings of inferiority. And, and this young man was a superb student. He was one of the top preachers in the school, and nobody expected that he would have those problems. But he, was, he, he didn't have relationship. He had nobody that he was, he was close to, that, that he felt close to. The same meeting, there was another boy who felt the same way, but he didn't write, Dr. Dobson. Nobody came 
and interfered in his life or spoke into his life. And five weeks after Dr. Dobson had been there, that boy hanged himself in the basement of the dorm. And get this, he hung there five days before anybody knew he was missing. He didn't have relationships. He, did, he had nobody he could talk to. He had nobody that he could share with. And, and he just felt totally hopeless. You know, there, there are a lot of us who think, well, you know, I'm so busy, I don't have time to be lonely. But I want you to know that busyness is not a substitute for friendship. Busyness is not a, a substitute for relationship. And there are lonely people all around us. I don't doubt there are lonely people in this room right now who haven't got the relationships that they need. I'm going to get to Genesis, okay? Just give me, just give me a chance. But first I, I want to talk more generally. In, in Hebrew, in, in, the language, in the Hebrew language, there are three words that uh, are used to talk about relationships, about close relationships. The first is yada. And the word yada just simply means to know. It's, it's translated a lot uh, about, uh, you know, to know in a, in a sexual connotation. But it means much more than, than that. It speaks of a deep personal awareness and understanding. It says that God knows us. That's the word it uses, yada. God knows who we are. In Job 19, it uses that word. It says, all of my best friends despise me, and those I love have turned against me. The word yada is there. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows me. All my best friends have turned against me. In Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the room, God's speaking to Jeremiah, says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, yada. I knew who you were. Before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so God says, before you were born, I knew who you were. And we had that, that experience, you, you and I, together. And in all of our relationships, it's that kind of knowing that makes for good relationships. That's the relationship that Adam and Eve had. It's the kind of relationship between spouses that gives marriage a special meaning. Uh, the, the, it's, it, it's the kind of relationship that comes when it says, and the two became flesh. You know, the, the, they, they knew each other that well. But it's not just among spouses. You can also have friends that you know that way, that you have that relationship with. You have that relationship, hopefully, with your children. You know your children. Uh, the scripture says that parents are gifts from the Lord. Well, they are gifts from the Lord, but you have to unwrap them. You have to unwrap those gifts, and you have to get to know your, your children. And, and each child, as it comes into the world, you make the effort to become and, and learn to know them. And the same thing happens in the church. We need to get to know one another and care for one another and, and know what one another are all about and what life is about. And, and because we're created in the image of God, we can have that kind of relationship. 
The second word in Hebrew is the word sakan, sakan, and it means to care. The word speaks of a, a beneficial or a caring involvement. It's a word that's used when it says that, that God doesn't seek to withhold any good thing from us. He seeks to know us so that he doesn't withhold anything from us. And then the third word is sod. It's spelled just like the grass you put on the ground, sod. And it means to disclose. It means, it's the word that is used when God discloses himself to us. He let us know what he was like. And he knows what we're like. And, and uh, it's the relationship that we build when we begin to relate to others. I, I, I relate to you because I disclose to you a little bit of what I'm like. And you disclose a little bit to me. And so that relationship is built. In John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says to them, No longer do I call you servants. Okay, now these are his disciples that have walked with him. Evidently, he's been calling them his servants. No longer do I call you servants because a servant does not know what his master is doing. But now I call you my friends for all that I have heard from my father I have disclosed to you. I've told you. So now we're friends because you know me. I've disclosed myself to you. So, so that's, that's the basis of our having been created in the image of God. Those, those you know, God, God knows us, and we can know God, and we can know one another. God cares for us. He doesn't want to withhold from us. And we can care for one another and not withhold from one another. And then he discloses to us. He lets us know who he is. You know, the whole Bible is a book that lets us know who God is and what God is like. And he doesn't want us to, to withhold from him. We can't withhold from him. But if you want to build relationships with others, you have to let them know who you are too and what you are like. So, so let's look at our passage. Genesis is the beginning of these relationships. And in Genesis chapter 2, he begins to describe humans as being created in God's image. Adam is created in God's perfect situation. You know, when, when you talk about the Garden of Eden, what's the first thing you think of? Well, that was a perfect place. You know, it, it was a perfect situation. And that's the world that Adam is living in in chapter 2 of, of uh, Genesis. The Garden of Eden, paradise. Now think, think about, Adam's mind is not corrupted. You know, he's never seen anything ugly. He's only seen good things. His heart is pure. His circumstances are good. There has never been a forest fire to put smoke on top of him. You know, he, he has never seen pollution. He, there, there, there was never a traffic jam. Nobody that Adam ever knew had ever even been sick. I mean, he didn't know anybody. But he had never been sick. There was no climate change. He wasn't worried about pollution. There weren't even any plastic straws. He didn't have to worry about anything. His environment was unstained by sin. 
He had everything. He had everything he needed. What did he own? He owned everything. At the same time, he owned nothing. Everything was there for him. And so, you know, he had no problem with what he was to eat. He had no problem with uh, banks or salaries or the government or retirement. Everything that God created was his, and he had it all. Adam had a position of authority. He was the boss. He had dominion over everything that had been created. Not only was he at the top of the ladder, when he looked down, there wasn't anybody else on the ladder with him. So think, think about that. He had everything that he needed. And, and you know what God said about his creation? We looked at that last week. What did God say at the end of each day when he had created that? He said it was good. It was good. And then at the end, he looked back and he looked over all of the six days of creation and he said, it is very good. It's very good. He was really happy with what he had created. And then... It says that God looked at Adam, whom he had created. He looked at Adam, whom had been made in his image. And the passage of Scripture I want us to look at this morning is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, This is not good. Oh, what's not good? It's not good. Adam is alone he doesn't have a friend he doesn't have anybody that he can relate to and so God says I will make a helper suitable for him Adam had a exalted position unlimited resources a perfect environment but God said it's not good that's everything that we think if we just had those we would be happy you know, um, our world tends to think that those three things, position, resources, and environment, are what we need to live a fulfilling life. If we only had a more perfect job, if we only had a better spouse, if we only had a larger income or a bigger house or a higher position, then we would really be happy. Adam had all of those things. And God said, this isn't good. Why? Well, he had all those physical things, but he also had a good relationship with God. He walked with God in the garden. He talked with God in the garden. Adam walked and talked with God in a way that you and I will never know until we get to heaven. So what's not good? The only thing that's not good in Adam's life is he doesn't have anybody, he doesn't have another human to be in relationship with, to care for. Now, think about that for a minute. God is sovereign. You believe that, right? God can do whatever he wants to do. 
he was free to create Adam any way he wanted to create him. But he chose to create Adam in such a way that he needed to relate to God and he needed to relate to others. In other words, he created him a relational being to to be with others. And so Adam's aloneness was a significant problem which had to be addressed because God had created Adam with physical needs. He met those. Emotional needs, he met those. Spiritual needs, he met those. But Adam could not meet his own needs. They had to be met through relationships with others, with God and with significant others in his life. Now, I I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm saying, according to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, just having God in your life is not enough. Now, it's important. It's primary of importance. You've heard people say, well, all I need is God. Well, Adam had just him and God. He walked with God, talked with God. He knew God. God knew him. But God looked over his situation and he said, this is not good. This is not good. And if you, and if you think as you read, as you begin in Genesis chapter 1 and you begin to read and you come to 2.18, that phrase ought to shock you. What do you mean it's not good? Well, it's not good because Adam didn't have anybody. Here's a song maybe some of you have heard. We don't, we haven't sung it since I've been here, and that's good. <laughs> the, it, it says, um, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is all the world to me. And when people sing that, my mind says, really? That's all you care about? And God would say, that's not good. Why? Because you have to care for others too. You have to have relationship with with, with other people. Adam was created with those needs. They're the same needs we have. Have have you ever noticed? You know, you guys have all had children. Well, most of you guys have all had children. Some of you haven't yet. Some of you are still children. But uh, do you ever notice that um, every child that's ever been born needs attention? They need attention. Most of them need some approval. Look, Mommy, at what I drew. And you're supposed to look at it and you're supposed to say, Well, that's really nice, son. You know, and I'm just I'm just talking truth to you. That's what happens. They need you to love them. They need affection. If they fall and skin their knee, they need a band-aid. They need comfort. Every kid needs that. And I want you to know that when you grow up, that doesn't go away. You still need those things. 
Adam was created with those needs. And our motivation is to have those needs met. God said we need to have those needs met. And if we're not careful, and, and if you think about this, this is where a lot of problems come in in, in relationships and people is that we try to meet these needs in a non-God-honoring God honoring way. For example, there, there's three of them. The first one is self-centeredness. Scripture says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Some people try to get their needs met by just taking what they need or manipulating others in order to get what they need. Um, They have a conditional love. If you don't give me what I need, I'm not going to like you. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to care for you. But but it doesn't work that way. You know, if, if you demand attention, when you get attention... It doesn't, it doesn't meet the need. You, need a, you just need people to give you attention, care for you enough to give you attention. The second problem is self-sufficiency. You know, in Revelation, it says, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Some people refuse to admit they have needs. They deny it to themselves. They deny it to others. Um, you know, we can really, we can really fool ourselves. Anybody able to fool themselves? You know, I was, we 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 were talking the other day in that class that I'm that I'm teaching. We we were talking. One pastor was saying that uh, he used to brag that. He had the perfect church. Everybody was always getting along with one another. You know, they didn't have any problems. They were doing their things. He says, I was just sure that, that God had given me the perfect church. And then one day, I was just sure of that. And then one day, it just all fell apart, and I realized that I was just fooling myself. I was just fooling myself. You know, we do the same thing. With, with, uh, with We think... We have everything we need. And when we think that, we miss everything that God has for us with others. You know, God wants you to have other people. He wants you to be in relationship. And if you think you don't need it, you miss what God has for you. Imagine Adam... When, when God said, this is not good, I'll make a helper suitable for you, and he created Eve, God would have, Adam would have said, hey, Gabe, take her away. I don't need her. I got everything I need. What, what are you doing messing up my garden? You know? uh, that's the person who has self-sufficiency. And he would miss everything that God had given and had for him. And then the third one kind of goes the opposite of the first one, and that's the danger of self-condemnation and that is you know I know I have these needs but I feel so guilty because I do why can't I just why can't I just do it my own why why 
Why do I have to be alone? Why do I have to be lonely? Why, why do I need friends? But you know, even Jesus, the God-man, the Son of God, had those needs. You know that, right? Jesus needed attention. He needed affection. He needed comfort. Why? Well, because he was human also. He was a person who expressed a need to relate intimacy, in, intimately with others. And so Adam's dilemma was he was alone. He had been created with significant needs, and there wasn't another human being with whom he could intimately relate. He had a perfect relationship with God, and that wasn't enough. He needed another person. So... God says, therefore, I will create for you. And he solved that dilemma by creating another human being. Somebody that he could relate to. A helper suitable for him. You know, God said, I'm going to do that. And, and, and he did that. And God's declaration to Adam and God's declaration in Genesis chapter 2 makes it obvious that we need other people. God didn't expect you to live like a hermit. We need others. He, does, he, he, he doesn't expect us to be self-sufficient. He created us with needs and issues that can only be met in the context of meaningful relationships. You've already discovered, and you younger folks will discover, that a new car is no substitute for affection. A house does not meet your need for respect. Degrees and diplomas don't meet your need for love. A position of authority doesn't take away your need for comfort and relationship. So God created three institutions to meet our need for close relationships. First, he gave us marriage. Genesis 2.18, I will create for you a spouse. And marriage is a divine institution created by God to minister to our need for relationship. And hopefully those of you who are married, you have that relationship with your spouse that you can meet the needs that they have for attention, affection, approval, comfort, respect, and all of those things that, that we need from other people. Then the second thing God made, he, he instituted in, in uh, chapter 4. That's a couple of chapters away from where we are now, but, but, but he instituted a family. God designed it so that every one of us would start life in a family, that we would have people who loved us, who gave us attention, affection, approval, comfort, respect. And, and that's why he put us into a family to start with. He gave us a family to minister to. But it, but it, it turned out not to be a perfect world. You know, because, because some people can't get married. Some people 
their marriages break up and don't exist anymore. Some people don't have families that care for them. Their families are dysfunctional. Uh, there's, there's no love and care and respect within their family. Some people, they've moved away from their families. Their families are on one side of the country and they're on the other side of the country. So God created a third institution to meet those relationships. And he called it the church. He called it the church. And the church becomes the family of choice for some people. A place to be known. A place to get attention. A place to get approval and affirmation and comfort. And folks, that, that is what is so devastating when a church becomes dysfunctional and doesn't provide those things for the people who are part of it. And it's interesting, just, just for your, uh, just so you know what goes on, since God's provision for our needs is in our marriages, our families, and our churches, it shouldn't surprise us that Satan sets out to destroy those very three institutions. Marriages, Satan's attack on marriage. Um, you know, you, you look at the statistics, you look at what's happened, my nose itches, I'm sorry. I keep trying to scratch it. I keep trying to scratch it without you noticing it, but now I'm gonna scratch it so you notice it so it'll quit itching. Um, where was I? Satan's attack on marriage. And, you know, it, it, it's been that way since the beginning. But boy, since the 1960s, there has really been attack on, on marriage. You know, first it was, it was uh, open marriage. You know, we... We're going to say that we're married, but we're not really going to be married. Uh, or we're not going to be faithful to one another. And then there was no-fault divorce. You know, I can divorce you for any reason. I just decided I don't want to live with you anymore. I just divorce you. And it's just no-fault divorce came in. Um, and, and the divorce rate soared. Do you know that, that statistically, I know that um, you, you can't do a lot of things with statistics, you can prove a lot of things with statistics. But statistically, people who were born after 1963, born in 1964 or later, in their lifetime will have more spouses than they have children. Isn't that crazy? That's how our family, that's how marriage has, has been attacked. Uh, and and surveys indicate that even among marriages that survive, there's deep levels of dissatisfaction with the marriage. It, they're not getting their needs met in their relationships, but they stick it out for some reason or another. The second, the second thing, Satan's attack on the family. You know, it starts in Genesis chapter 4. The first 
the, uh, the first murder was committed, and it was committed between a brother and a brother. You know, it happened in the, in the, um, in the beginning. Abel ki or Cain killed his own brother. Two-thirds in America, two-thirds of all children will spend part of their growing up years in a single-parent family. Now, that's not saying that there's, there's anything particularly wrong with a single-parent family except that God created it to be a man and a woman and a child. That's, that's the biblical definition. Child abuse is out of control, guys. Every time I read something about the, the Pennsylvania thing and the child, the child abuse from the priests and the and the church abusing the children, and, you know, I'm not Catholic. That doesn't affect me. Yes, it does, because those are God's children that are being abused by those that God put in place to protect them. When a father or a mother abuses their children, God put them there to, to be the, the children that that person needed, to, to give them attention and honor and comfort and affirmation. And Satan attacks our families by keeping us from doing that. And then Satan's attack on the church. I mean, no sooner, no sooner did Jesus announce the establishment of the church in Matthew 16, in verse um, 18, he said, I will build my church. Do you know how many verses it took for Satan to attack it? Verse 23 of the same chapter. Jesus turned to, to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter was already changing what Jesus had said about the church. That's why we need to work so hard on our marriages. That's why we need to work so hard in our families and, and building our families and caring about families. And that's why it should break our heart when we see our culture attacking marriage or we see our culture attacking family. You know, it's not just different ideas that people have. It is attack on the foundation that God has given us to create good relationships. Jesus had needs. He was God in the flesh, God with us, but he still needed air, food, and water. We don't doubt that at all. But he also needed comfort and companionship and other needs that he had, relationship needs. And he communicated those needs to those around him. In Matthew 26, 36, 38, he said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We don't, we don't often think about Jesus that way, but that was his announcement to his disciples. You know, I just thought I was going to die. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And then he said to his disciples, Will you stay here and keep watch with me? Will you pray with me? Will you care with me? Do you care what's happening to me? And then they all fell asleep. And he comes back and he says, My friends, you couldn't stay awake for an hour. It hurt him. 
that his friends wouldn't be with him. And he experienced the emotional pain of rejection and loss and disappointment and loneliness. Scripture says that he can be our high priest because he experienced all those things. He knows what it's like to be us. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Jesus received from others as they ministered to his needs. Jesus looked beyond their faults and saw their needs. You know, Jesus never excused sin. He never did. But he always looked beyond the sin and saw the need that was behind it. Jesus' unconditional love could separate a person's value from their sinful behavior. And he can do that with you too. He knows what you're worth and he loves you and cares for you for that reason. We have two major needs. Because of our fallenness, we need a Savior. We all need a Savior because we have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and we know that. We preach that in the church a lot. We need a Savior because we're a sinner. But folks, if we look at Genesis 2, we also realize that because of our humanity, we need relationships. We need others. The Apostle Paul speaks of that joy of relational closeness in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says to the Thessalonians, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives as well, because you became so dear to us. That's what we need. You know, we need to share the gospel, but we need to share our lives too with others to impart our life to another because it's not good to be alone. So God says, I'll fix that. I'll give them marriage, I'll give them family, and I'll give them church to meet those, those needs. God has given us that opportunity for those relationships. Relationships when we can impart our lives to others. And we need those relationships desperately. So don't respond with self-centeredness and say, yeah, you're right, Pastor. That's, that's what I need and I'm going to get it. Come heck or high water, I'm going to get it. That's self centeredness self-denial I don't need others I can handle it on my own pastor you're, you're full of beans I don't need any of that yes you do don't be self don't be self-sufficient and don't think there's something wrong because you have those needs well God sent a Savior to save my soul. 
God sent people to minister to me. And God sends me to minister to people. Same for you. Same for you. Let's pray together.